Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is from A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hainsbury. Tonight's selection is actually a play written about a black family in the south side of Chicago in the 1950s. But we will be focusing on one character, Walter, a limousine driver who is barely making it by on his salary. But there is hope for him and his family. His recently deceased father leaves behind a life insurance check for his family. We will peek into Walter's journey as he transforms himself from taking shortcuts and keeping his head in the clouds in hopes of leading a different life to being a man of action and embracing the challenges of his current life head on. With today's culture of instant gratification and internet memes encouraging life hacks and taking shortcuts, it's easy to avoid making the tough decisions and it's easy to justify the lack of action in our culture. As warriors, you take the difficult times head on and you do the best with what you have. And that's what builds courage and your strength to face your next battle. And that is exactly what we see from Walter. There is everything right about having high aspirations for yourself and your family. And there's nobility in the grind on the way to them. That's not what this whole section is about. Walter's story is about pulling your mind out of a vision in order to handle the cards that you're dealt with like a warrior and facing the real life circumstances you have in front of you, even when it's hard and not what you wanted. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. While we journey through Walter's real-life decisions, you may see parallels in your own life, and the real, practical, and courageous decisions that you need to make on the regular basis. You are the author and hero of your own story, and hopefully Walter's journey can inspire you to make the choices that you need to keep being the hero of your family. So relax and enjoy. The Youngers are a black family 
living on the south side of Chicago in the 1950s and receive a $10,000 check from the deceased Mr. Younger's life insurance policy. Each of the adult members of his family has an idea of what they'd like to do with the money. The matriarch of the family, Mama, wants to buy a house to fulfill a dream that she shared with her husband. Mama's son, Walter Lee, wants to use the money to invest in a liquor store with his friends because he believes that the investment will solve the family's financial problems forever. Walter's wife, Ruth, agrees with Mama and hopes that she and Walter can provide more space and opportunity for their son, Travis. Walter's sister, Benita, wants to use the money to pay for her medical school and is bothered by her family's desire to integrate with the white culture and searches for her identity by looking back to Africa. The youngers clash over their competing dreams. Ruth, Walter's wife, discovers that she's pregnant, but fears that if she has the child, she will put even more financial pressure on the family. And when Walter says nothing to Ruth when she considered having an abortion, Mama tells Walter that he can't have the check and better get his family life in order. And so she puts a down payment on a house for the whole family, believing that a bigger, brighter home will help them all. Walter believes that the money is the answer to everything and making an investment is the way to go. He feels enslaved by his job and lack of social power and believes that money allows people to live carefree lives. He also believes that how much money he has to provide for his family is what defines him as a man. And so, in his mind, having freedom isn't enough, but rather having money is the truest freedom. Here's a conversation between Walter and Mama that highlights their ideological differences between their generation. Walter speaks quietly. Sometimes, it's like I can see the future stretched out in front of me, plain as day. The future, Mama. Hanging over there at the edge of my days. Just waiting for me, a big lumen blank space full of nothing. Just waiting for me. But it don't have to be. He pauses and kneels beside her in the chair. Mama, sometimes when I'm down and I pass them cool, quiet-looking restaurants where them white boys are sitting back and talking about things. Sitting there, turning deals worth millions of dollars. Sometimes, I see guys that don't look much older than me. Mama looks over. Son, how come you talk so much about money? Because it is life, Mama. Oh, so now it's life. 
Money is life. Once upon a time, freedom used to be life. Now it's money. I guess the world really do change. No, it's always been money, Mama. We just didn't know about it. No, something has changed. She looks right at him. You something new, boy. In my time, we was worried about not being lynched and getting to the north if we could and how to stay alive and still have a pinch of dignity, too. So Mama puts the down payment on the new house in a neighborhood called Claiborne Park, an entirely white neighborhood. And when the younger's future neighbors find out that they're black and moving in, they send Mr. Lindler from Claiborne Park Neighborhood Association, who offered them money to stay away. The youngers refuse the deal, and Walter takes the rest of the money for his investment in the liquor store. And the night before, he sets off to make the investment, he talks with his son. Walter gathers Travis up in his arms. You know what, Travis? In seven years, you're going to be 17 years old. And things is going to be very different with us in seven years, Travis. One day, when you are 17, I'll come home from my office downtown somewhere. You don't work in an office, Daddy. No, but after tonight, after what your daddy gonna do tonight, there's gonna be offices, a whole lot of offices. What are you gonna do, Daddy? You wouldn't understand yet, son. But your daddy's gonna make a transaction, a business transaction. That's going to change our lives. That's how come one day, when you're about 17 years old, I'll come home and I'll be pretty tired. You know what I mean. After a day of conferences and secretaries getting things wrong the way they do. Because an executive life is hell, man. And the more he talks, the further he gets away. And I'll put the car up on the driveway. Just a plain black Chrysler, I think. With white walls and all black ties. More elegant. Rich people don't have to be so flashy. Though I'll have to get something a little sportier for Ruth. Maybe a Cadillac convertible to do her shopping in. And I'll come up the steps to the house and the garden will be clipping away at the hedges and say, Good evening, Mr. Younger. Walter's vision isn't entirely materialistic. As he continues, we find that he's betting that having a successful business is going to help him in his relationship with his wife. And they'll be able to kiss and hold hands, which is a completely different vision of what their current relationship is. And he hopes that his son will get to go to any college that he wants. All of this is perfectly reasonable. You want to be able to build a future for your family. And sometimes you gotta take risks in order to make your money work for you. Everybody wants to see 
positive changes in their lives and in the lives of their families. But as we can see from the conversation, Walter's vision is a little over the top and less down to earth and realistic. The next morning, Mama gives Walter the rest of the money and says as long as he saves some for his sister's college fund, he can use it to invest however he sees fit. Then he goes to his friend who persuaded him to invest in the liquor store. And his friend runs away with all of the cash, never to be heard from again. Walter has lost the rest of the money, most of which was intended for his sister's college fund. And now she can't go to school. And the family is back, if not worse off, than where they originally started financially. Having been played and not knowing what to do, fearing fearful about losing his family's money, Walter decides to call Mr. Lindler and takes the deal to call off the move altogether. Tells his family that it's better to stay and keep the money instead and feels awful for acting as such a poor steward of the whole family's wealth. In the meantime, Benita gets proposed to by her Nigerian boyfriend, Joseph Asagai, who wants Benita to get a medical degree and move to Africa with him. After wrestling with the circumstance, Walter finally decides that he's going to stand up to Mr. Lindler, and that his family and him are moving in no matter what. Here's how it goes. Walter had called Mr. Lindler and invited him over. He opens the door and they begin to have a conversation. Walter walks by Mr. Lindler, who is reviewing the contract. Well, Mr. Lindler, we uh, called you here. There's a profound, simple, groping quality in his speech. Because, well, me and my family, he looks around and shifts from one foot to the other. We are plain people. Lindler says, yes? I mean, I've worked and chauffeured for limousines for all my life here. And my wife, she does the domestic work in people's kitchens. So does my mother. I mean, we are plain people. Yes, said Mr. Lindler. Malter gathers his courage, and even though he feels kind of like a small boy looking down at his shoes and then up at an adult. And, uh, well, my father, well, he was a laborer most of his life. Lindler is absolutely confused. Uh, yes, I, I understand. He turns back to the contract. And, uh, father, with a sudden intensity, he speaks and stares at Mr. Lindler. 
My father almost beat a man to death once because a man called him a bad name or something. You know what I mean? Lindler, looking up, frozen. Uh, no, I'm afraid I don't. I... The tension kind of hangs there, and Walter steps back from it. Yeah, well, what I mean is that we come from people who had a lot of pride. I mean, we are very proud people. And my sister over there, she's going to be a doctor, and we are very proud. I, I'm sure that's very nice, but what I'm telling you is that we called you over here to tell you that we are very proud. And that is, and he moves his arm over to his son, Travis. This is my son, and he makes the sixth generation of our family in this country. And we have all thought about your offer. Well, good, uh, good. And we have decided to move into our house because my father, he earned it for us brick by brick. Mama has her eyes closed and she's rocking back and forth. Just as though she was at church with her head nodding and amen yes. We don't want to make no trouble for nobody. Fight no causes. And we will try to be good neighbors. And that's all we got to say about that. He looks at the man absolutely in the eyes. We don't want your money. And he turns and he walks back. Lindler stands there looking at all of them. I take it that you have decided to occupy. Walter's sister Benita chimes in. That's what the man said. Mr. Lindler looks at Mama. Then I would like to appeal to you, Mrs. Younger. You are older and wiser and understand things better, I'm sure. Mama replies, I'm afraid you don't understand. My son said he was going to move. And there ain't nothing left for me to say. You know these young folks nowadays, mister. Can't do a thing with them. As he opens his mouth, about to say something, she rises. Goodbye, Mr. Lindner. Lindner folds up his materials. Well, you are all final about it. Then there's nothing left for me to say. He finishes wrapping up all of his paperwork and... The whole family is looking the opposite direction of him, except uh, Walter, whom he stares at, and begins walking towards the door. He halts and turns around. I sure hope you people know what you're getting into. He shakes his head and leaves. So from that point, the family takes the courageous path and they move in, thus fulfilling a long-held dream of Mama and Walter's father. Their future seems uncertain and dangerous, but Walter and his family stay optimistic and determined to live a better life. With Walter's leadership, 
They believe that they can succeed and resolve to stop deferring their dreams anymore. And warriors, this is exactly what your leadership shows. When you show courage, your whole tribe can follow. Walter's son, Travis, was given an example by his father to not back down and to handle things as they come. And his family knows they have a bumpy road ahead of them. But being that they just moved into a racist community and they're not any more well off than they had been from the start, but they know that they'll manage and make it through the situation. Walter atones for his mistakes by showing courage and doing the best that he can with the situation as it currently is. And that's what you do in those moments of bravery and courage and self-mastery. You're aware in the moment. You look at things as they are and you embrace the challenge head on accepting whatever consequences may come. You've made your choice to push forward. And sometimes that's all you can do because you take the heroic path. Your courage echoes through your family and the following generations. Now Walter's whole family is better equipped to handle what comes next. Just as the world around you is impacted by your decisions every day to stay focused and do what you believe is right. Remember who you are and continue the fight.